Um, last week, we looked at the first chapter of Hebrews, and the writer begins his presentation of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, as being better than angels. Using his understanding of the Jewish esteem for angels, in particular <clears throat> to the giving of the law, he uses many Old Testament passages to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is son, king, and creator. The angels, on the other hand, are merely servants, subjects, and creatures. So what does that mean for you and me? And that's what the beginning of chapter 2 begins to touch on. That's what we're going to look at today. So if you would turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to read just the first four verses. Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to read the first four verses. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall, we, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts, of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we reflect on these few verses at the beginning of Hebrews 2, and we see some really practical things about who we are as sinners, I find that it's really easy to look at this passage and say, yeah, I know someone like that. And I just pray this morning by your spirit, you would help each of us to look at this passage and say, I am someone like that. Forget about those that are around us and begin to reflect on our own selves and our own failures. So we pray by your spirit, you would enlighten us, you would uh, illuminate your word to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going to be talking about the nature of emptying today. The nature of emptying. While we're going through Hebrews, there, Hebrews, there's a couple of concepts that I want you to keep really close at hand, and that is, and this is just by way of introduction, the idea of speaking and the idea of hearing happen all the way through Hebrews. Very, very important com concepts. The idea of speaking and the idea of hearing. And when uh, the book of Hebrews uses the word hearing, it's not the type of hearing where you say, Benjamin, you clean up your room and then nothing gets done. He heard his mother, but he didn't listen to his mother. And the type of hearing that Hebrews is talking about is the type of hearing that means uh, you respond. You respond to whatever it is that you've heard. So keeping those concepts in mind of speaking and of hearing, they're, they're really a, a large emphasis in this letter. 
So the first thing I want to look at is the very nature of emptying. You'll notice when the boys had the cup and they were filling it up, it was coming out the bottom through a bunch of holes that I put in with a thumbtack this morning before they started. And so I want to look at the nature of emptying. The first thing that I want to look at is that emptying requires no effort. Didn't take any effort on the cup's part to drain itself of water. So you can get on to the first couple slides there for those of you that want to follow. So in verse 1 it says, lest we drift away. See that? We need to pay attention. Lest we drift away. And there's a difficult phrase in the Greek to figure out. Um, it can mean lest we are just carried away by a current. It certainly has the idea of a fluid passing through. Or lest we run out. So we had something, but we've run out. But the idea is certainly of a fluid, and that's why I use the cup, is that it was initially filled with water, but if Benjamin would have just held it there, eventually it would have just run out. No effort at all. It would have just run out. And that's what these words drift away means, just an emptying or a running out or a being carried past. It's a little bit hard to render, but I thought for the, for the sake of um, our illustration this morning that we could think of it as a running out, a slipping through. It is describing the man that is in danger of being emptied by neglect. Unless the mind holds closely to the words God has spoken, it allows them to pour out. I think of, um, there's different descriptions of people in the world. Someone who is, for example, a theist, is someone who believes in a God, personal God. The opposite of that is someone who is an atheist, someone who does not believe in a personal God. And there's all sorts of other words that go along with it. And I heard one theologian say, but the most difficult people to reach are the apatheists, those that don't care whether there's a God or not. And we think in here, each of us sitting in here, we think, oh yeah, we care whether there's a God or not. But do you live as though you care whether there's a God or not? Day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, do you live as though you care there's a God, if there's a God or not. And I think that's the idea that Hebrews 2 verse 1 is bringing across. So you had this initial maybe understanding or experience where your cup was filled up, but then you didn't care. And without any effort at all, the cup just drained right out. And then we go on living as though the cup was never filled in the first place. So the first point that I want to get across from Hebrews 2.1 is that this emptying requires no effort at all. All you have to do is nothing. That's all you have to do, and you can drift away. The second concept I want to bring across is that emptying is an unconscious 
process. You don't have to think about emptying. It just happens behind the scenes. So the Greek literally being, lest we should run out, like leaky vessels, which let the water poured into them one way, run out another way. I remember way back in the day when I was still doing physics, which similar physics to what my daughter is working on right now. We would have to figure out if you have a tub this size and it's got a hole in the bottom, how fast uh, would you have to pour water in to get it to, to maintain a certain level as it's draining out this hole in the bottom. And, and I just thought of that while I was preparing this message, is this, uh, this constant process of emptying out without even thinking about it. The word <coughs> drifting away, lest we drift away, it refers to the person, not the things. Lest we let them drift away. And I think that's important because it contains a failure on our part. We fail. It contains a failure. It's not just lest it runs out. Lest it just runs out as if somehow it's the water's fault. It's not. Lest we let it run out. It contains a crime. Some might call it a crime of neglect. It is our duty to retain the word which we have heard. And therefore, it is not said that the water flows out, but that we, by negligence, lose what we ought to have retained. Our minds <clears throat> and our memories are like a leaky vessel, just like that cup. They do not, without much care, retain what is poured into them. Notice I kept saying to Samuel, look, come on, Samuel, it's emptying. And then he'd, he'd keep his eye on there and he'd keep putting a little bit in. But, and then he'd leave it a bit and all of a sudden he'd have to keep putting it in. He had to, he had to maintain care. It took much care to keep that cup filled. And of course, this leakiness proceeds from the corruption of our nature. Just the nature of being a human being, corrupted by sin. It leaks out due to temptations. It leaks out due to worldly care. What do you care about the most right now? Don't think about what do you care about the most. And all of a sudden, some worldly care pops into our mind, something happening around us. And of course, worldly pleasures. And of course, uh, worldly pleasure is the new religion. You do that which pleases you the most. All of these cause leaks, and the leaks are real. Emptying, the third thing I want to look at, is that emptying moves us in one direction and one direction only. So, for a passage of scripture, I'd like to look at 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, and it should come up on the screen. 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. You can see at the beginning it shows the direction of leakiness. You can fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with errors of wicked. The contrast of that is growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There isn't a static state where you get to a certain spot and then you're good. You just stop there and you can just rest in that notch. You're either declining or you're growing. You're either being emptied or you're being filled. There was no static state in that cup. It didn't just get to a point where it was just good, unless it was entirely empty, but that's another point. And the final point I want to make, and it seems pretty obvious, but I thought I would put it in there anyway. Emptying is dangerous. And all you have to do to find out whether that is true is find someone who started out, say, in the church or in Christianity and neglected it for a time. Maybe they let it run out for a good long while and things didn't go well. And then they realized things are falling apart. And they know things have fallen apart. And you ask them, is it dangerous when you let things get empty? And they're the ones that would say, absolutely, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. You don't have to ask someone who's always had it all together, if you can find such a person. Ask the one who's been hurt, and they'll tell you, it's dangerous. Don't do it. What are the signs of emptying? What are the signs that our cup, who we are, is emptying? Well, the first we'll, we'll look at this in, in depth to, um, to some degree here. But the first thing I want to look at is just a careful look at what verses 2 through 4 actually says. So we're going to do an exposition of Hebrews 2, 2 through 4. The word in verse 2, for if the word spoken through angels, the word there denotes divine commands delivered by angels, and it seems to refer to the commands of the Mosaic law. We looked at that last week. And when we look at uh, Jewish historical tradition as well as a, a bunch of passages in the Old and New Testament, this word that verse 2 is talking about seemed to be, seems to be talking about the, the demands of the Mosaic Law. And we can look at uh, a few chapters over because Hebrews is the best commentary on Hebrews. We can look over at Hebrews chapter 10 and I think that should come up, verses 28 and 29. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? So it's a very similar and parallel passage there in Hebrews 10 to what we're looking at in, in Hebrews chapter 2. So this word seems to be the divine law. Then there's two other words that happen in verse 2. It talks about every transgression and disobedience. Every transgression and disobedience. The word transgression there 
signifies a leaping over the bounds which the law had set. So the law had a boundary that said, don't go beyond here, it's dangerous, you're going to get hurt. Transgression is a leaping over the bound into the place of danger and pain. And beside that, the word disobedience, the idea behind that is the refusing to do the things that the law demanded. So um, the idea behind these two words is the law said thou shalt not, and you said I'm going to anyway. The other word disobedience, the law said thou shalt, and you said I will not. So those two words, transgression and disobedience, cover not only deliberately breaking the law, but also not doing what God has asked us to do. For example, love the Lord your God with all your heart, a positive command, and we disregard it. Or we have the negative commands, thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie, and we just leap over that bound and we tell lies. So those two words cover the whole idea of failing where the law asked us to do certain things. The other thing I want us to notice here is that the law was steadfast. It was steadfast. It didn't fluctuate. So you can lie as long as you're not feeling well that day and a lie makes it easier for you. <clears throat> the law did not allow. It did not fluctuate. It determined what the crime was and it was firm in his punishment. It determined what the crime was and it was firm in its punishment. And it did not yield to circumstances, but if not obeyed in all respects, it demanded punishment. So as we see, again, just looking at what these words said, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and every disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect that which is higher? How shall we escape if we neglect that which is higher? Notice, and this is the final point here in our exposition, notice that it is not merely committing great and terrible sins that prevents the escape that we call salvation. There was a theologian in the early 1800s named uh, Dr. Arthur Barnes. Arthur? Dr. Barnes. That's not, I'm not going to give you the first name because I didn't write it down. Dr. Barnes. And I have a quote from him. He says of this passage, not if we are murderers, adulterers, thieves, scoffers, it is if we merely neglect this salvation, if we do not embrace it, if we suffer it to past, pass unimproved. Neglect is enough to ruin a man. A man who is in business need not commit forgery or robbery to ruin himself. He has only to neglect his business, and his ruin is certain. 
A man who is lying on a bed of sickness need not cut his throat to destroy himself. He has only to neglect the means of restoration, and he will be ruined. A man floating in a skiff above Niagara need not move an oar or make an effort to destroy himself. He has only to neglect using the oar at the proper time, and he will certainly be carried over the edge. Most of the calamities of life are caused by simple neglect. By neglect of education, children grow up in ignorance. By neglect, a farm grows up to weeds and briars. By neglect, a house goes to decay. By neglect of sowing, a man will have no harvest. By neglect of reaping, the harvest will rot in the fields. Let no one infer, therefore, that because he is not a drunkard or an adulterer or a murderer, that therefore he will be saved. Such an inference would be as irrational as it would be for a man to infer that because he is not a murderer, his farm will produce a harvest, or that because he is not an adulterer, therefore his merchandise will take care of itself. And I thought that to be a very powerful quote. All you have to do for something to absolutely fail is neglect it. If you neglect the message of the salvation before it ever enters your heart, all you have to do is continue to neglect. In other words, do nothing. If you have accepted the truth of the gospel message and embraced it, all you have to do is neglect your relationship with your Savior and watch the ruin to come. What does neglect look like in your life and in mine? <clears throat> what does it look like? Well, I want to look at four things that I think, these aren't exhaustive, these are just four things that maybe are the most obvious. So if there's neglect in your life, you can Put yourself on a scale. Maybe as I bring up these four things, ask yourself, where am I on a scale of zero to ten? Zero, am I absolutely failing? Or ten, am I doing this perfectly? And, and maybe do a bit of a self-evaluation. So what does neglect look like? Number one, there is a diminishing desire to study the truth. Where do you fall on that? Zero, you absolutely don't study. Ten, you study all the time. And I think we can uh, see a, an example of this in Psalm 1, the first four verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Look at, look at the progression there. First he's walking, then he's standing, and then he's sitting. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever, whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. So I think that's the first picture of what neglect looks like. You have a diminishing desire to study the truth. 
So evaluate yourselves, folks. The second thing is that there's a diminishing desire to know the truth. And I think that the verse that's most appropriate here is uh, found in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, and verse 17. Jesus Christ, praying to the Father, says, Sanctify them, sanctify those that I have chosen, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to set apart or to begin the process of cleansing. Clean them, set them apart, bit by bit maybe, by your truth. Your word is truth. So that's how we are sanctified, by the word of God. And so your cup is showing signs of emptying when you have a diminishing desire to know the truth. The third thing, there's a diminishing desire to share the truth with others. And for our passage here, we'll look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Paul speaking to those that were in the church in Thessalonica. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. And as we are emptying, that diminishes. We're not really all that concerned whether someone we know or even care about has heard the truth of the gospel. And finally, the fourth thing, there is an increasing desire to be like the world. So three decreasing, one increasing. There is an increasing desire to be like the world. And the passage that I chose that, uh, to talk about this is in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty black and white. You can gray that up all you want, but the Word of God isn't gray in this area. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, I think of uh, sexual desire there, the lust of the eyes, I think of that of, as potential sexual desire there, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So there you go. There's four evaluations you can make of yourself. And you can ask yourself, is my cup emptying? Do I have a diminishing desire to study the truth? 
Do I have a diminishing desire to know the truth? Do I have a diminishing desire to share the truth with others? And do I have an increasing desire to be like the world around me? And depending on how you answer those, you can tell how quickly your cup is emptying. Well, <clears throat> I would be an absolute failure as a pastor if I didn't do step three. How do we prevent this emptying? How do we prevent this emptying? And um, this passage in particular, these four verses, don't talk specifically about how to prevent the emptying. Uh, much of the rest of Hebrews does, and what we've talked about already, about who this Messiah is, and how much better he is than angels. But I thought, you know what? We ought to talk about the prevention of this emptying. It happens so easily. We're all leaky vessels, aren't we? We're all broken vessels, aren't we? If you can look me in the eye and say, not me, I've got it together. Maybe you and the rest of you losers, but not me. I've got it together. I don't, I don't leak. When I get filled, I'm good to go. If that is your attitude, you ought to be up here, not a leaky vessel like me. But I think in our heart of hearts, we all know that we're broken. We all know that we have cracks and holes and they leak out if we're going to be honest with ourselves. So what do we do about it? We've seen that to leak and to empty out is dangerous. And if you don't believe it, just talk to someone who has. Just take the time to talk to someone who has. So how do we prevent emptying? Well, the first one seems so obvious, I almost hated putting it on the overhead. How do we prevent emptiness? How did Samuel prevent the cup from getting empty? How'd you do it, Samuel? He kept filling it. So there you go. Keep filling. Keep filling. So the passage I brought up was one that we looked at at length here. Remember, we did a, a really long um, exposition of Second Peter. And so let's read what it looks like to keep filling this leaky vessel. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do you prevent emptying? Keep filling. Keep filling. Number two, how do you prevent emptying? Look out for leaks. We're all leaky vessels, but there's, that doesn't mean we just break the bottom out of the cup and just throw our hands up in the air and say, I quit. Look for leaks. 
Where is it that you are losing water? So I wanted to look at a couple of verses here. 1 Peter chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 12. 1 Peter chapter 2. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, people that are wandering through the world, in other words, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You be careful how you live. Be careful how you live, even out there. Because how you live out there could, de- de- could determine someone, someone's eternal destiny. You be careful how you live. And the other passage, Hebrews 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, others that have gone on before and lived carefully, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We look forward to the end. And that end in the person of Jesus Christ. So you watch out for leaks. And we are all leaky vessels. And we watch out for those leaks. The third thing for the prevention of emptying is be careful what you pour in. The thinner the liquid you pour in, the easier it's going to drip out. The thicker the liquid, if if, uh, Samuel would have had a ketchup bottle, it wouldn't have oozed out those holes so much. But be careful what you pour into your cup. Be careful what you pour into your cup. We had uh, Sunday evening service. We had talked about some books that um, are not in the New Testament that were written early. And there was some debate in the early church whether maybe some of these books should have been included and others should not. And I thought, do you know what, for the sake of the folks, I'm going to read through these works. There was, I don't know, a bunch of them. And I remember finally getting through reading all those works. I was sick enough that I could just read. So that was, a, that was nice. But I remember reading through all those books and feeling the need again to get into God's word. Some of, them, some, some, of the, some of those works were worth reading. Letters from concerned Christian pastors to their flocks, and they were encouraging to read. Um, but others were, it was like, okay, I need to get back into the Word. I need to get back into the Word. So be careful what you pour in. So for our scripture, I want to read Matthew chapter 7. Uh, This passage has been interpreted interpreted in a lot of different ways, but for today's sake, I want to think of it as Christians being on a path. Being on a path of sanctification. Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate. So there's the beginning. But that's not the end of the journey. For wide is the gate and broad is the way 
that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it, go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Be careful what you pour in. And then finally, and this is probably the most important, particularly in guard, in regard to the fact that we're looking at the book of Hebrews, and that is, do not leave the great spring, capital G, capital S. Do not leave the great spring. Every river and stream, if you follow it upstream long enough, you'll get to a spot where water seeps out of the ground. We call that the spring. And in a lot of places, there'd be water in a, in a bunch of areas close by, and they'll weep out of the ground and weep out of the ground until finally they accumulate and they begin the process of flowing. And before long, you end up with a, with a mighty torrent like the Nechaco River. Yeah, I know. <coughs> in August. And, uh, but as Christians, we must not leave the source. We must not leave the source. There's several passages. Uh, the first one is Colossians 2, 6, and 7. The other two passages are, are very closely linked, and, linked and, and interpret one another. But they're encouragement for us. Do not leave the great source. If Samuel would have walked away from Benjamin without that source of that container pouring in, the cup would have drained out. Or if Benjamin would have walked away from Samuel, the cup would have emptied out. But they had to stay close together and maintain and be very careful. Do not leave the great spring. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How have you received Christ Jesus? By grace through faith. So walk in him by grace through faith. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. By grace through faith. Now let's look at the last two passages, which are really, they're very closely related. They, they interpret one another, so I put them on the same page. And that is John chapter 4 and John chapter 7. John chapter 4, 13 and 14. Jesus, remember he encounters the Samaritan woman at the well and uh, teaches her a thing or two. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water here in the well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will be in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And then a few verses later, Jesus interprets what he was talking about. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Do not leave the great spring, the person of Christ, the Spirit of God at work in your life. 
you need to be continuously filled as the cup was continuously filled so that you do not become empty. Keeping all these things in mind, what I'm going to do now is just read the first four verses of Hebrews 2 again. And I want you to see yourself. And then we'll pray and close. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Let's pray.